0: In and across Chicago and over the internet, you can make a generous recurring gift by going to our website, urbanvillagechurch.org backslash give. And thanks for helping us with your ears, actions, and dollars to build up God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And now, here's the latest sermon.
1: i Burns. My pronouns are she, hers, and hers, and I am your student pastor here I get to read scripture this morning. Our passage this morning is Genesis 18, 1 through 15. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre. As he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day, he looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham hastened to the tent to Sarah and said, make ready quickly. Three measures of choice flour, knead it and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where is your wife Sarah? And he said, there, in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him, now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed at herself, to herself, saying, "'After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure?' The Lord said to Abraham, "'Why did Sarah laugh and say, "'Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? "'Is anything too wonderful for you for the Lord? "'At the set time I will return to you in due season, "'and Sarah shall have a son.'" But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, oh yes, you did laugh. This is what the Spirit is speaking to the church. Thanks be to God. Good morning. morning.
0: My name is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I currently serve as the interim site pastor here at Urban Village Church Edgewater, and I'm so glad you're here. Will you pray with me? God, who makes things possible when things seem impossible. You draw us in closer to you, God, knowing that we are sometimes lonely and lost and fearful, that we are grieving and hurt, but that, God, we are called not to be alone. That you bring a family of community around us. May we learn more, God, about being that authentic family in relationship with one another providing deep care and love in times of stress and grief, in times of uncertainty and when things seem impossible. And so we give of ourselves to you. It's in the name of our brother and friend Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, I'm going to grab one moment off stage. Uh, I, okay, confession. I read a lot I read a lot of young adult fiction. That makes me sound like not super academic or smart. I love it, and if you want to come at me, we can talk about that later. Uh, Young adult fiction is the way of the future, but... I also read a lot of children's books, trying to find out places where inclusivity and space are being made for children and young adults so that we continue to grow young people in our community. A young adult children book that I uh, love and hate all at the same time is one by Petey Eastman. It's quite old, uh, it's called, Are You My Mother? Has anybody read this book? Does anybody know? It's the story of a little, uh, uh, of actually a mother bird who, uh, realizing that her egg is about to hatch, it starts stirring underneath her, decides oh crap, I got to find some food for this baby bird. And so she rushes out in order to prepare her home and her space in order to provide for her new found baby. While she's out, the egg hatches and cracks open and the baby suddenly becomes instinctual and starts looking around for its mother. And it becomes quite silly. The baby starts hopping and tumbling around the baby bird looking for its mother, asking all kinds of other animals that are not birds and inanimate objects if, are you my mother? And then it. At some point, the tiny little baby bird says, "Do I even have a mother?" And the reason I don't like this story is because what if you are a young child and your parents like, just go away for a date one night and I'm just all of a sudden concerned, "Where does my mother go? Do I even have a mother anymore?" That set aside. <laughs> I think the story does speak deeply to a deep need within a lot of us, of instinct-needing nurturing and deep care searching for belonging and a place for comfort and relationship. We see evidence of this when babies are born. They automatically start rooting around for a nipple, looking for that nourishment that, hu- that an adult human can provide. We see this of evidence when a queer child comes out to their parents, hoping desperately for acceptance and love rather than condemnation. It is instinctual within us to seek connection and nourishment from family to be fully known and celebrated as who we are. So this morning, we read the story of what some scholars call the great family, the beginning of families, the first of first families, Abraham and Sarah. And let's just get real honest. Abraham and Sarah are messy and messed up and not the family we should be honoring ourselves after. But that's also because families are messy and messed up. I don't know about you, but I will testify, mine comes from a lot of dysfunction. And so it is right and good that Abraham and Sarah also come from dysfunction in order to honor uh, to show us what it means to be a family. So Abraham and Sarah are called by God into a new place. This is a 60-second version of a story that happens over like 25 chapters. Here we go. They traveled from their home, a town called and they were called into a new place of Canaan. They followed the river to guide them through the desert into this new space where they believed God was calling them into be a new family, a new people. So they were called then, once they arrived in Canaan, remember they followed the river to this new place, then God calls Abraham and Sarah again to say, you guys, pack up those bags. We got to get out of here again and calls them into another new place. This time, God instructs them to go away from the river and follow into the desert, which is, in ancient Near Eastern culture, a very dangerous thing to do. You got to pack up the camels. You got to be ready to go, prepared for whatever disaster might happen. They are on their way into the desert, searching for a place that they do not know if it exists, do not have family or relatives that are going with them or that will be in this new place, and do not know if God is going with them. God was in the place they left, but will God be in the place where they are going? So throughout this journey through the desert, Abraham sometimes takes little breaks and goes up onto a hill or a mountainside and prays, God, are you here in this space as well? God presents God's self to Abraham to say, yes, I'm still with you. Continue on the move. And so they continue making their way to this new place called Hebron where they set up and establish their family, God is with them in this new place as well. While they're in this new place of Hebron establishing their family, Abraham goes out again into the desert and God promises, not for the first time, but for the second time to say, I will make a great nation of your family. This is why I've called you not once, but twice into new places, new spaces, seeking for further connection with me. And at this point, Abraham is like a little old better than your grandfather. He has outlived all of us. He's been eating his kale and drinking his apple cider vinegar. Abraham is 99 years old, still fit and vigor, walking through the desert. But he also knows that when God says, I will make a great nation out of you, this person who has no children yet, out of your wife who is postmenopausal. and Abraham says, Oof, and he laughs. We often think of Sarah being the one laughing. We'll get to that in a second about how the patriarchy is a real thing. But Abraham, is the first one to laugh. So they left this place, the place where they experienced God and community to live in a new place where they knew no one, knew, didn't know if God would go with them. And so while traveling, uh, uh, yeah, anyway, God continues to provide and say, you will continue to have a family. And I wonder about this too, because Abraham and Sarah drank all of their apple cider vinegar and ate all the kale, Did they feel like these promises God kept making to them were some type of cruel joke? They had been promised not once but twice by God throughout a 25-year span. At age 75, they first received a promise in Genesis 10, you will be... A great nation will come out of your line, out of the children that you are able to birth. And so this cruel joke is laid upon them, this stress and devastation that their bodies are not able to do what they hoped they would do, that their bodies are not able to do what they expected them to do. And so uh, the laughter that comes from Abraham and then later from Sarah doesn't just come from a place of doubt or unfaith, but it comes from a place of deep despair and grief a place of desperation and also wondering, does God know what God's up to? And so after arriving in Hebron at the age of 99, Abraham is out sitting outside of his tent with surrounded by his family, surrounded by his servants, preparing a space and waiting in the middle of the day. It is the heat of the day, the prime time when your mind starts playing tricks on you, when mirages, if you're from Texas, you know what a mirage looks like in the distance, like you see something that's actually not there. And so Abraham lounges outside of his tent under a tree waiting and sees this dreamlike experience of people coming towards him in the heat of the day, the time and place when people are not out traveling, not the smart ones at least. And so Abraham practices this ancient Near Eastern tradition of hospitality, running to greet these new people. Abraham, remember, he's been drinking his apple cider vinegar, but he's still 99.9 years old. He also, we we won't talk about this too much, but in the, the previous chapter, in order to make a promise to God, he had circumcised himself. How long had he taken to heal before he started to run out into the desert to greet these people? I don't know. Sounds silly. But he kept practicing this practice of hospitality, going out to greet these strangers. And so he arrives and invites these strangers, These what we know are representatives of God, but the scripture doesn't reveal that to Abraham and Sarah. And he, tell, he welcomes them into his space underneath his tree to rest under the heat of the day. And then he says, okay, Sarah, bring out all the best stuff. Bring out water to wash their dusty, nasty feet. Bring out this deliciously, perfectly seasoned calf, which takes a long time to prepare. He's just getting started with his hospitality. And then he says, oh, wait, wait, wait. We're gonna bring out the carbs. All the carbs, bring them on. And then bring out the milk and the yogurt, but not just the yogurt. We want the fat, fasci, full fat, all the things with a little granola sprinkled on top. It's all there. And the Lord predicts, these lords, these divine creatures, as they sit there luxuriating in the heat of the day with all of the goods in front of them, predict again that in a year they will return and Sarah will have given birth to a son. And Sarah, I don't know if she is in the tent already cooking and preparing because we know she's not out there enjoying that pre-seasoned calf, do, do they have to yell and scream so that she can overhear them on over or her preparations in the tent? Sarah, hearing this response, this promise from God, decides uh, laughs at the suggestion because she knows God has promised children several times and nothing has happened before. At some point in desperation and devastation, Sarah and Abraham commit sexual violence with another woman in order to provide a son for their family because they don't believe that God can actually do this. And we'll get more to that story later in this sermon series about the messed up, messy families. But what makes God think that God can live up to God's promises in this time to create a family in their aging bodies? And so Sarah does laugh at the suggestion the divine beings make. Uh, I don't know if it's out of anger grief, embarrassment, or what it is, but we're gonna pause just a second and take a little time to talk about Sermon 2. This is the Sermon 2 that you didn't ask for, but you're gonna get this morning. That the miracle of this story is not just that God provides impossible things it provides possibility in times of impossible things, but that God also sees the suffering of people when our body doesn't do what we want our body to do, that when grief takes over our body and situations in our life, God doesn't gloss over that, but God says, I will include that story of grief and suffering in my text, the story of when your body is unable to give birth or conceive the lack of fertility within your body and the devastation of every time you go to pee on a stick to see if you're ovulating, knowing the grief and suffering of what that moment is like, God says that grief and suffering is real. And I honor it by including these stories of complication in our Bible. I honor it around stories of miscarriage, around stories of when our bodies don't live up to our expectations because grief and suffering are real. And so we know that's true because Isaac is named Isaac, which in Hebrew means laugh. We will honor our grief and suffering, not as a way of showing doubt and honoring doubt for what people do, but also honoring the grief of experience of what it means to build a family and not knowing if you can have the strength to build a family. That's sermon, duh. You didn't ask for that, but welcome. It's unclear who these divine visitors are, what they are expectation is in sharing this promise, this difficult story with Sarah when she suffered so much. And we don't know who they are because their pronouns kind of jump all over the place. It goes from he, him to they, them really quickly. But we know that the Lord is present in this encounter because they reveal themselves as the Lord at some point. Because Abraham and Sarah have desired a family for so long and because they've been promised and hoped for so long, Abraham and Sarah have grown grief-stricken in their hope and promise for what their outlook will be. How can they believe God this time when it's been almost 25 years since God promised them that generations of descendants would be part of their family because their expectations of family, what it could be and should be, what they've formed in their minds about their expectations of what their bodies could do and should do are so high their disappointments are also so high. The desperation of what it means to form a family by any means necessary become their only option. And this is true of us. We're beginning a new sermon series on how we form families, why families are important. And as we attempt to live into our Christian community, so we have great expectations of our families, uh, what they could be and should be. And this is why when our families disappoint us, it can be so devastating because we have hold them to such a high standard, not inappropriately so. We know that there are those who are pregnant for nine months. Let's be real. It's actually 10 months, 40 weeks is a long frickin' time. Those who are dreaming of that person who will arrive into their family, what kind of tiny person and tiny life they will lead. Those parents-to-be build up these great hopes. And if something goes wrong, For that child before or after they arrive, these parents, whatever their dream was for their child, family systems can break down and hearts can be shattered when dreams are broken. Not because of something bad someone did, but because the expectations are so high and our hopes, our hopes are not met. We also have inappropriate expectations of family. So there are expectations of what families should provide, and there are inappropriate there are uh, expectations of what a family actually looks like. I call this the Christian family or the perfect family. Do you? I often am sitting with coffee over someone, and people ask me if I pray with my husband. And that is me being Sarah because I laugh at you and say no, because my husband does not pray well. His <laughs> prayers are boring and dry. We have expectations of what a good family looks like, and presume that families, good Christian families, don't fight. They never ever annoy each other and they really love doing puzzles. And I don't know about you, but I hate puzzles. Good Christian families pray together before every meal, before every bedtime. They only watch movies and TV shows that are wholesome, that avoid anything with gratuitous sex or violence or fun. Good families start and meet with a cute meet-cute between two individuals, usually overreaching for the same coffee cup and then giggling. They date for an appropriate amount of time, which is 2.5 years, and then they get married, and then they have babies, and then they take perfect photos on social media because they never struggle with financial stress or work stress, and the bathroom never smells funny after someone's been in there. (laughs) And we also have these inappropriate expectations of church families. What is a perfect Christian church family look like? Well, Christian church families, they always agree on what kind of bread is best, who to hire, what songs to sing, and how to spend their money. Is that how a good Christian church family acts? Is that how you all act? No, because that's not what a good Christian family is like. These are unusually high expectations of family, and it is no wonder that no matter what kind of family you come from, who you do or do not associate with, you might be disappointed. It makes sense. You might be disappointed with your family. It makes sense that you might be disappointed with your involvement in community. The mythical idea of what a good Christian family, that idea can leave us miserable, constantly seeking something beyond the current realities of our relationship, looking at that mirage in the distance and not knowing if we can find it in relationship with others. Some uh, scholars and then uh, Not so scholarly, other pastors call it the the sin of looking for the perfect community that we can't find, that's always unobtainable. So, as we at Urban Village Church, uh, I don't know if you know this, we have four sites throughout the city of Chicago, soon to be a fifth, holla! But we uh, stretch all the way from Hyde Park Woodlawn here to Edgewater. Uh, Juan Pablo regularly serves, as our testifier this morning, regularly serves at our Wicker Park location. At all of these locations, we're unpacking what it means to be family. If we are family, why are we called into this community and deep desire to belong to one another? For four weeks, at all four sites, we'll be exploring what it means to grow a family, the complications behind that, what it takes to be in committed relationship to one another, and how these relationships are formed and how we can sustain them over the long haul. Because we recognize that our diverse community is made up of families, who are not created biologically. These are families who are made up through adoption, fostering with the help of science. Some of our families are chosen, not just the people with whom we are biologically related, but the people we welcome into our arms and bring a little bit closer. All of these forms of communal family are intimately valued by God because God knows of our deep instinctual desire to be nurtured and cared for and connected to others. And we care the care we do for each other and being cared for each other is not easy. In fact, when Sarah laughs at the notion of growing her family in her old age, the Hebrew verb, let's just put on our nerd Hebrew hats for a second, is payel, which can be translated two really interesting ways. Uh, It can be translated, it is wonderful or it is difficult. The, uh, The divine creatures respond saying, is anything too wonderful or difficult for God? Creating a family is both wonderful and difficult. Whether we're born into and raised by a family of origin or we are adopted or we are fostered by a caring family or desperately seeking family, our commitment to to each other is both wonderful and difficult. We find that we are family best when times are both wonderful and difficult, which is actually just called ordinary. (laughs) Everyday moments of our lives, when we eat together, when we welcome people into our home, when we do the dishes, when we fight. These are moments of sacredness. These are the small moments that make up the intimacy of family. We affirm our ordinary everyday activities. And then we celebrate those through larger rituals like birth and death and the introduction of new life and life transitions. We do these exciting new things and practice meals together and radical acts of hospitality because when we do small moments, we are also worshiping God. This is what Abraham and Sarah do when they invite someone to their home. Something that seems so ordinary to them is so honoring of our God. Even though Abraham and Sarah are grief-stricken, even though they desperately long for children to have of their own and they don't have one, Abraham and Sarah still decide to form family among themselves. They have their community, those who traveled with them into the desert. They have their family with the help of their servants so that they are able to welcome and invite other people, strangers, into their midst. They practice abundant hospitality because they know what it means to be on a long journey, what it means to be desperately seeking for something, and the need of friends in a strange land. So they are open-hearted and liberally hospitable because God has been hospitable to them in in the past. And so this is our job. This is what we do as a Christian community. We are not, all of us, biologically related. Did you know that? (laughs) Yes. But we choose. We choose regularly to be in committed relationship with each other. Last week, we did a membership service where we say, you are ours and we are yours. Our lives are going to get mixed up together. For some of us, family can be a harmful memory, and we are deciding to recreate a new family here. For others of us, family is something for which our bodies ache, and we need other families around us to provide that support and care as we continue to grieve. The call of Christian family, following after Abraham and Sarah, is the call to care for each other, care for each other in our weariness and in our grief and in our times of celebration. So setting it's about setting a reminder on your phone, on people's anniversaries, death anniversaries, when they have a... a, a surgery coming up, to just send a quick text. That's all the reminder is. That's not that you weren't thinking of them anyway. That's you being forethoughtful in saying, I will think of you later by setting this reminder on my phone to a reminder to send you a text to say, I'm thinking of you. I'm praying for you. When someone's sick, we insist on driving them to the, to the doctor even though they don't want us to. We insist on telling them to text us when they get home even though it seems like we're being paternalistic because we insist on coming over and bringing over soup or helping them carry the groceries up the stairs because we know what it's like to struggle with groceries up the stairs. We create family here because family is so desperately needed. Over this last week, you might've seen the news that a young teenage boy Uh, died by suicide this week. His name was Nigel Shelby. He was a young queer black boy. And the reason uh, people believe that he died by suicide was because he was so actively bullied in his school and in places around him because he was queer. He was out wearing rainbow sweatshirts, telling people who he really was, sharing more deeply of himself with those around him, And all he received back was hate and vitriol. And so it is essential that what we do here as community is combating larger systems outside of who we are, creating safer spaces to say, young queer kids come here to be reminded that they are accepted and beloved by God. When we are raising babies and children in our space, we are reminding them that who they are is not something to be ashamed of, but is celebrated because they know they have a whole community behind their back ready to beat up some bullies. They know that they have a God who brushes up God's sleeves and says, come on at me, bullies, because our God values queer young kids. So what we do here is an act of running out to those young queer kids to say, you are so radically included and welcomed here. This is what we do as a community, practicing showing up each week. It's in the small, ordinary moments of our lives, and it's also in the big systemic things that we do together together. Pulling out the best food and being hospitable to each other. Hospitality, therefore, requires bravery. It requires us to say, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to open up myself to you, and I'm not afraid to stand up on behalf of you. It requires us to be truthful with one another, but it also requires us to share that truthfulness with the world of the good things that we've experienced from one another, because we are changed by being in relationship with one another. This is the model of the Christ like family to practice hospitality. Not that you are so good and deserving of this love, but that you are so beloved by God, you are deserving of this love. You, your family, those whom you dislike are welcome here because you are welcomed by God. So, building up Christ like family and hospitality requires us to be open open to new people in our midst, open to being changed by the Holy Spirit open to pulling more and more people, running out to tell them they are so welcomed. And we will mess up as a family. Has your family messed up? (laughs) Mine has too. Some people's parents are here, so they don't want to say that. But (laughs) our families will continue to mess up and we will continue to fail you as a church family. And we will also continue to show up in your life persistently and actively telling you that you are a beloved child asking for your forgiveness and continually being in relationship with one another because we believe that there is, we serve a God who uh, sees possible things out of the impossible situations in our relationships, that we need each other just like a baby bird searches for a mother. So let us be the community that searches out for one another, who runs out to each other and says, you belong here. We are yours and you are ours. Will you pray with me? God, we live in a world that is full of pain and hurt. And out of our pain and hurt, it is so easy to hurt others. Help us to see the ways that you are moving in our lives, God, so that we might break those cycles of pain to run out, eagerly invite and be hospitable to one another, saying you belong here because you are a beloved child of God. I need you in my life in order to be changed and transformed. So God, give us the courage and bravery to be vulnerable with one another, transparent with one another, forgiving of one another. We offer ourselves, this small family of God, to you. May we reflect your glory in this world. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.